Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Uh, welcome to our Diverse Classics program, um, where several library staff here at Southeast Regional Library are talking about uh, a diverse classic book that they've read. Um, so we'll go ahead and take it away. Uh, yeah, super short introduction. <laughs> but wait, can we preface it by saying how like how exciting and important it is that we're doing these? Yes, you are the best person for that. Oh well, thank you. So, um, so very exciting that we're doing this because the diverse classics that we have read are going to be added to our classics section. So if you've ever been to the library and you've seen, oh, I ju it just escaped me. Who's in our classics? But well, the Southeast Regional Classics. That's true. The classics Gilbert are, Classics. Yeah, classics are unique to each branch, um, but our classic section has books that are of literary significance, are at least 50 years old, and the author has passed. So, oh, so like To Kill a Mockingbird, all of Harper Lee's um, books go into our classics now. Even Even Go Set a Watchman. Even Go Set a Watchman. So, the books that we're all proposing today are going to go into our classics. If they are not there already. So yay. All right, Jen Bailey, if you would like to take it away. I'll start off. This is James Baldwin. It is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Have any of you read this? Mm -hmm. I haven't. I've heard good things. So. It's, it is very good. So reading throughout the book, it was, it's kind of interesting because I was reading about it online too, and a lot of like the, like the themes that people kind of focus on online, like in review of it, is a little bit different than like as I'm reading through it, like I'm focusing most on kind of like the religious aspect of it, like his experience. So basically this book is about um, a young man uh, named John Grimes. He is turning 14, it's his birthday. It, it covers, this is all happening in one day and also throughout decades and generations. So basically uh, he wakes up and he is living his life. Things happen um, just kind of a very typical day, but he is, it's a coming-of-age story, and he's going to be heading to church. His family is very um, into church. His father is the pastor of the church. So it's like a huge part of his life. And all of these like instances throughout the day, like his experiences that he's having, he is uh, kind of like assessing, like, is this sinful? Is this not? Have I sinned? Like, who am I going to be? Like, he has like a really kind of raw relationship with his father, and there's like a... a not, I don't know, a spoiler, it's an older book, but um, <laughs> I'll just say, the, the fact is he and his father have like, they just don't get along, father is just kind of mean to him, um, he's saying like, oh, you have a sinful like, face, it's very bad, yes. and it's really actually really sad, the whole time I was like, why is his dad being so mean to him? It's not his actual dad, and that's the thing, he doesn't know it, and so he's being raised, he's the oldest of these four kids, um, John is, and so his younger brother is actually his dad, his dad's first kid and so the dad in his mind he is um, in the church and he's believing that God is going to like have uh, his family be like really proliferous and like have like this like huge like, family line and he's thinking like oh this is gonna be Roy but and John is just like, over here like who am I like Aww. and so it's really sad because he's trying to like find his like father's like approval but also he hates his father and there's like flashing in his head of like what he's gonna do about that but not only it doesn't only cover him so, and this is actually, it fits in perfectly with the pop sugar challenge of the generate family generation. Yay. So this is one of those that could be in those. But basically, it, so it goes through and it actually delves into, like in the middle portion of the book, it delves into his father, Gabriel uh, Grimes, his past, as well as his mother, Elizabeth's past. And each of them have just like very interesting past that kind of like 
definitely informs it in the first few chapters, in the first few portions of the book, you're like, why are they being this way? Like, why? But you really get to, like, empathize with them. And even though maybe you don't, like, agree with what Gabriel does, you are really informed. You're like, this is, like, a super traumatic past. Because remember, this is taking in place in, like, 1935 in New York. Oh, wow. And so they're a black family, and they're, like, his grandma was in the South. She was a slave. And so that's they're coming out of that. He's the first generation to not know the South. And it's actually... James Baldwin, this is like semi-autobiographical, like very much autobiographical, but yeah, it's a novel. It's very good. This is definitely like the most beautifully written, like literary thing that I've read in a very long time. And that's mostly, I think it, it speaks to how literally awesome this book is and how awesome of a writer James Baldwin was. But also, um, I'm just, I, I don't find these books and this is it. <laughs> I think that's something like, that speaks to something that about the classics too. Like the classics are classic for a reason. And it's usually because like not only they have this literary significance, but they're also just so like eloquently written and just, not, I, I hate to say like not the way that books are written today, but it's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's very different from the way that books are written today. Even if a book has historical significance or literary significance now, it's being written today, it just... It's not the same. It's not the same. Like, the language and the eloquency and, like, grace and the... I don't know, the play on words and the language in classics is just so different. Oh, yeah. So... My turn? Your turn. Oh, gosh. I wrote a sticky note, but I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and go without it because I remember what this book is about. I read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, and I really... When, I, we, when Nicholas proposed this program, I was like so determined to do a Toni Morrison book. And I read Beloved a few years ago, but it misses that 50 years. So close. It's so close. It misses that 50 year cutoff by like two years. Um, so, so. Diverse Classics 2023. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah once, it, yeah, once it comes up, it's just gonna go right into the classics. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. Um, so I had never read The Bluest Eye, but I know that I love Toni Morrison. She is an absolute wordsmith. She's just the same thing, like like James Baldwin, yeah. so incredible with words and so masterful, and I just here I am, like and I just can't believe that somebody has a handle on words like that. Um, so I read The Bluest Eye, and it's all about this little girl named Picola, and she is like bogged down by friendship issues and family issues and societal issues that she's seeing as a child. But you're getting through a perspective of a child, so you know that these are all those kinds of issues, but you don't, like, you know she doesn't quite understand that they're huge societal problems. So she she dreams and wishes about being a blonde, white, blue-eyed little girl. Um, and she really, like, she, she asks, like, a pastor at one point, um, like, you know, she's asks him basically like you do god's bidding right and he's like yeah and she says i want to be white i want to be beautiful i want to be blonde i want to be blue-eyed like and yeah yeah and you're like oh no this is like this is what society is telling her is beautiful and you're like you're recognizing that as an adult and as somebody that lives in a like post jim crow and post segregation time you're just like my gosh that is traumatic to a child like how awful is that um but yeah, so she wishes that she were white, and she wishes she were blonde, and she wishes she were blue-eyed, because she recognizes that that's what's beautiful, and that's, like, how to be pretty, and how to be, like, accepted by society. And, 
oh my gosh, just like so much trial and tribulation for this poor little girl. And kind of the same thing, it traces back to like some of the reasons why her family inflicts this like torment upon her and the things that they've gone through and the reasons why they are the way they are. Um, so it's really like a family story and a, a like an assessment on society, I guess. Um, and I really loved it and it was really sad. And I think this got both of Tony, Tony Morrison's books that I've read, both Beloved and Lewis Die. Um, they're a little graphic and like a little hard to read, but hard in a way that's like so necessary. So like in order to understand a greater perspective and a more diverse perspective and like the struggles of other people, you have to read these. So yes, I highly recommend anything by Tony Morrison, but Lewis and I like really crushed me. Yeah. And she reads the audiobook. I listen to the audiobook, yeah. so That's yes. Cool. I think she read she read Beloved too. But I listened to that like three years ago, so it's been a long time. But yes, she read the blue side. It was really cool. Do we have the audiobook? I listen to it on Libby. Oh, okay. So if you're looking for diverse classics, they are on Libby oh. has this too, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, so if you're looking for diverse classics and you like our e formats, they are available. Um my book um, was Things Fall Apart by Chinua Akabe, and I, I'm sure I mispronounced that name because I'm bad at names. Um, I read this first in high school, um, and I remember it being like the first classic that I thought, huh, this was really interesting, actually. Like, I would read this like if I wasn't being made to read this. The second was Frankenstein, but oh, I can't do Frankenstein, so. Um, but it basically, so it's kind of divided into three parts. Um, it fo- the whole book follows this. Uh, this uh, Igbo man in Nigeria, and I guess a little bit of background on uh, Chinua Akabe, he's a Nigerian writer. This book was written in the 50s, I think, I want to say 56. Um, and I read in an interview with him where somebody asked, you know, this, why was this book written in English? Not, not um, I think it's Igbo, his, his tribe. Um, and he said, because Igbo never had an alphabet before kind of the British came along, and it's kind of this real clunky, like, no one wants to read it. Um, and he said it's also kind of like, I'm taking back the language from, like, my colonizers, you know, which was kind of interesting. He's writing this book about the effects of colonization on his people in the language of the colonizers. That's interesting. Um, but it follows this uh, this man named Okonkwo. He's, uh, like, a if, if you say the term big man in the village, he is that. He's, like, there. He's, he's literally physically large. Like, his, he got his, he kind of came to fame in his village by, like, winning a wrestling competition, which is, like, a big deal. Um, but he's also, like, really well-respected, lots of wives. He's got, they, they measure wealth in yams, so many yams. He's got many of them. Um, but the first part just kind of talks about uh, the society of this village, so it traces um, how he doesn't want to be like his father. His father was, like, this kind of layabout, I want to say bard, like lounge musician type dude, who, you know, he'd play music, but he was all, always super in debt. Um, and he just kind of wanted to have a good time. Um, so Conquo says, no, I'm not going to do that with my family. And, uh, you know, he borrows some yams from somebody to plant his own crop of yams. His yams grow, he gets more yams. Um, and kind of as time goes on, you know, he's, he's chosen to do, he's chosen to be an envoy to this other tribe, um, kind of a, a threat, you know, hey, basically back down or we'll fight you. Um, and they pick him because he's big, he's well-respected. The 
tribe does back down, and Okonkwo gets a wife and a son out of it. So, good news for everybody. Um, but it just kind of goes through. He's eventually forced to straight up just, like, Isaac and Abraham-style sacrifice his adopted son, which he does not want to do. Um, everyone who tells him that, they, you know, they tell him, we talk to the oracle, the oracle says, I think it was, I think it was game-related, um, you know, some sort of like plague of locusts, like drought type thing. Spirits are angry. We have to, you know, spirits told us we have to kind of sacrifice our son for this. And a lot of the, some of the other guys were like, hey man, you don't want to go along. Don't, don't do this. Don't go along for this. But the end point essentially is when they're having this, the whole village is having this funeral for, um, I guess a very well-respected kind of older man. There's, in, in society, there's four titles you can get, and he, this dude had three of them, so he's he's pretty legit. Um, but as the as the funeral's happening, they give a, like a, a salute with some rifles. Um, all the village men do, and Okonkwo's rifle explodes and accidentally kills the uh, this guy's son. Oh. So he gets exiled to the land of his mother's um, his mother. Uh, he builds like. He builds a farm, you know, he kind of prospers, gets involved in politics. But then, of course, the whole five years, he's like, I want to go back to my homeland. I got to go back to my homeland. He gets there and he finds out that the British are there. Um, at one point, he kind of hears these rumblings of, hey, did you hear this village? They crucified a guy. They nailed this guy up to a tree and his iron horse, which I was like, what is his iron horse? Like a train? Turns out it's a bicycle. So they crucified his bicycle. Um, but he comes in and essentially finds that um, British are there, they brought Christianity, um, and at first Christianity wasn't really a thing, but more and more people started to join that church, um, including one of Okonkwo's own sons, which he is not happy about. But his it was the succulent East, so he was in about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, essentially... The third part kind of chronicles Okonkwo's like resistance to the British. Like, you know, he's he wants to keep people away from Christianity. At one point, um, a lot of people in the village find that if they go to the church, they can learn how to read and write, which gets them better jobs. So a lot of them go there. He doesn't like it. Um, and then the end point of the book is when the British civil servants, the kind of like magistrates that have essentially taken over like the oversight of this village. Um, they come and I think they demand they demand someone be handed over. It's not a cop quote, but it's another one of the villagers. And he essentially kind of tries to rally the villagers into resisting and he thinks they're going to, but then they back down. And he said, you know, kind of thinks this is like the end of every, like what has, what have my people become? Um, and then at the end of the book, they, they find him in his um, his compound, like, hanging from a tree. The British kind of say, or the, um, the the people of the village say, we can't cut him down. Like, that's not our, that's not our deal. Um, you know, it's, it's sacred, it's, it's bad luck, we can't cut him down, we can't handle that. Um, so then the British are kind of like, eh, we'll get somebody else from another village to do it. They just kind of like walk out. So, kind of a, a heavy book. But uh, super good, um, super interesting, kind of a window into another culture when it's changing, which was really interesting to me. Uh, it's actually the first part of a trilogy, too, uh, called the Africa Trilogy, and it kind of chronicles Nigeria, I 
takes about 40, 50 year jumps. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. He, he, uh, he's a good author. That sounds really good. It's one of the books that I remember from high school. I think like we have to read this for school and I like love that book. Super Although you're telling the story, I'm like, I don't remember a lot of it. I didn't yeah. remember it until I reread it. I was like, I thought I had read it in college. Like when you held it up, I was like, that looks familiar. And then when you started describing it, I was like, that sounds really familiar. And yeah, but yeah, I, I really feel like I need to reread it again as first of all, as an adult with like a different perspective, but as someone who's not a college kid being like forced to read this. Yeah. There's so many books I've reread since school that I'm like at the time was forced to read and now I'm voluntarily reading and I'm like, this is incredible. Um, the teachers know what they're doing. <laughs> Even though it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the time you're like, oh. Um, but I know we do have this book. I don't know, I'm just pointing down, but this book as, a, <laughs> as an ebook. Um, we also obviously have physical books. I was there is an audiobook version, but as far as I can determine, it's out of print. Because I know we don't have it, and you might be able to find it on Audible, maybe. Yeah. But um, I think even then, actually, I searched and nothing came up, which is oh. kind of nuts for me. Um, I did manage to track down a copy, though. And if you can find it, the narration is amazing. Um, but unfortunately, that's not something we have. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did... A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood. I actually had bought this book like a long time ago and just never read it. And then we're doing this program. I was like, yes, I'll read it. It's your time. Uh, so we don't actually have a physical copy of this here, unfortunately, but there is uh, audiobook versions on Hoopla, RV Digital, I think, and Libby. That is all. So that's awesome. Uh, so this book is, it's so wild, like the conversation about like classics just being written and just like this most eloquent, beautiful this is easily one of the most beautiful books I've ever read in my entire life. Um, it's it's just so wild. Um, so, okay, it is uh, follows basically the day in the life of a man named George, and he is English but lives in America, uh, teaches in a school in L.A. I think he lives in, like, Santa Monica. Uh, it's set in 1962, and it's not autobiographical, um, but it's a lot of his life in there. Christopher Isherwood actually taught in L.A. too. It was kind of interesting. Um, but basically, so it reminds me a lot of the bell jar too, uh, like oh. a very inward, introspective. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it, but it's also like, it's not as like inward. Like I would say, it's similar to that, like this inward like journey of this person through a day, and it's also stream of consciousness. I know I'm selling this very well. <laughs> um, it reminds me of like Finnegan's Wake or like anything what Ulysses type thing. It, it does just like if that's like a ten, it's like a three. Okay. So it's like it's got those elements in it, but not like incomprehensible. Okay. okay. No, no offense, James Joyce. So yeah, basically, George, uh, his partner Jim, passed away like the year before this book is set because um, it's in 1962. So it goes through like their neighbors don't really accept them as like a couple. Um, society, he has to hide himself. Society is very like, I, mean, I don't know if it was illegal in the time. It definitely. Eh. It was six probably, probably close. Um, so it's, you know, he's, it kind of goes through like just his internal life, just dealing with that, like sh the shame and like the stuff that's happening for people. And he's also dealing with like kind of a, a universal, like grief 
but he's just so like, I mean, it's been, I believe, a year since um, his partner passed, but he's still like so dealing with like, and there's, I wish I could find that passage, but there's a passage where he talks about like, when you live in like a house with a person, that the house becomes like a symbol of your relationship because every single part of it reminds you of, oh, this is where we used to shave together. This is where we used to bump up into each other, like in the kitchen while we're cooking. Like all of these things, it's just like immensely, incredibly powerful. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. There's not a lot of spoilers because not a lot happens. He teaches a class. He goes to the gym. Uh, he goes to visit one of his friends, and they talk about like I think she's from England originally as well. So they talk about going back to England. So I think the real, the action in the book is, is more internal. It's his dealing with this grief and how it's kind of like a roller coaster. Because there's times where he's like walking, I think at the beach or something. He's like, oh, I feel like peaceful. I'm like, oh, this is like hopeful. And then he sees something that reminds him of Jim. And he's just like, oh, just, it's so heartbreaking. Um, but I think, you know, there's not a lot of it, to my knowledge, in the classic sets who like, uh, LGBTQIA work. So that's why I wanted to do this one. I really wanted to do uh, Samuel Delaney, uh, Babel 5, 17, I should know that. <laughs> do it. I think Babel 17. Uh, but he's alive, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, Good job on that. <laughs> I wanted to talk about your book because it's sci-fi too. Oh, There's not a lot of like sci-fi wow. fantasy in the classic section. Really only Isaac Asimov, I think. Yeah. Tolkien? Tolkien, yeah, I think it's gonna be sci-fi. Bradbury, yeah. oh, Brad, yeah. Or well, and I want to do Octavia Butler. Yeah, oh, she's yes. still alive too. I also, just, good job. I just <laughs> read *Terrible at the Summer*. It was very good. Oh, I want to read that so bad. Very good. Have you read *Kindred*? I've heard that's I amazing too. I think those are those are all on Libby, right? I believe so. I think they just went on like I think a, maybe a year ago they went on like a whole. At some point, we got all Octavia Butler stuff. That was the something that when we like conceptualized this, and we were all kind of talking about like what we might pick for our book. I would like search for something I remember reading as a kid and thinking like, "Oh, this is a classic." Like my first instinct was "Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry" yeah. by Mildred D. Taylor. That was like my brain immediately went there, and I was like, oh, I, "That is my classic." And I looked her up, and she's. If she was either still alive or it wasn't long enough, but I think it was that she was still alive because I was my first thought was, ah, dang it. And I was like, no, 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 Mildred, <laughs> forever. So glad you're still here. But man, uh, so this when I found Tony Morrison, I was like, no, but also like, not yet. Yeah, like bittersweet, very bittersweet to like find something that you're like, that belongs in our classics right. because that means that person is gone. And that's bad. <laughs> but it's very like, it's cool that we get to be the ones to like kind of induct them. Like, For sure. Into our one shelf of classics. That's okay. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's important that we, like, that even just at a branch level, that we're talking about this because. And more, yeah, more people thinking about all the titles that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, you miss it. If it's just, like, one person, like, you're going to miss everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. More and more voices saying, like, this is a classic, you know? Yeah. It's interesting, too, to kind of think about, like, when we were talking about this, like, to be thinking about the groups that make up diverse communities and make up like underrepresented communities and be thinking like, yeah, I can't think of any like East Asian authors. Like it's really hard to find LGBTQ authors. Like just to kind of like sit 
I don't know. There's like a part of me that wanted to like sit with myself and think about like why those don't exist. Don't yes. have a lot of Muslim authors there. Don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Really lacking in Muslim authors. Yeah. So you just kind of like sit with yourself, like, wow, like, you know, there's a reason why that is the way it is. It's scary to me to think about. So like, I don't necessarily. Now we're going to the 50 year thing. The 50 year from today, 50 years ago, it's a whole different playing field. Where are you even going to get somewhere? Exactly. And so like, I understand like the thought of wanting to like when we are highlighting these things, calling them classics, putting them there, they have to have like literary staying power, like they've impacted the world, but also like it's just my heart aches because you know that there's like so much, there's shelves and shelves of empty books that never got published that should have been, you know? for sure. That's so true. Sorry. No, no, no. I thought it was interesting, uh, Three Musketeers, Alexander Dumas, uh, his father was actually Haitian, I believe. Oh. Um, which I did not know until very recently. Um, but that's that's always kind of my favorite example of it. Did you know this author was actually diverse? And people are like, what? Um, also, he would write anything if you paid him. So oh, that's like my favorite fact. Good for him. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> right? <laughs> One of those like, like my writing is art. He's like, you want to pay me? All right. I love like, a good so dollar. He would like write like reviews. He wrote like travel stuff. Like he wrote a lot of, of uh, filler basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. Props to him. Love it. It's the writer's life. Yeah. He's <laughs> got to make money somehow. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I think, is James Baldwin also LGBT? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. He wrote uh, Giovanni's Room in 56. This book is 64, okay. so this is like one of like the seminal in my gay literature. But Giovanni's Room is oh, long yeah. before. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's an incredible book. Well, thank you for sharing those books with me. I haven't read any of them, so I'm going to go home and read all of them. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We hope you learned some, some stuff, and keep on reading. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.